Hey, good morning, everyone. We are uh, just in a small series looking at growth in the new year. And um, we're, we're going to look at this morning about something that I think that is so vital within our Christian walk on how we continue to grow and not get stagnant. I remember, I was thinking about this the other day, you know, you always think about when you knew when you stopped growing as a, as a teenager. And I just remember that. I remember my sophomore year, I was 5'10". I said, man, I'm going to hit six foot. I know it, I know it. Then my junior year, I hit 5'11". I'm like, yes, yes, it's going to happen my senior year. Never happened. I, st- I stay, and, and now I'm just shrinking. Like my grandfather, Jerez, Italian, we just shrink. I mean, it just happens. It just, that's, that's the way it is. And there's a couple things that, that you know very quickly as you get older, right? Number one, you can't eat as much as you did when you were younger. Can I get an amen? You can't. I remember coming home from swim practice and having a half gallon of ice cream and not gaining an ounce. Remember those days? Wasn't that fun? I hate you young people. No, I'm just teasing. Um, <laughs> Number two, you know, your hair no longer, especially for men, your hair no longer wants to hang around. It just does not want to hang around. And uh, I have to admit, when I was in college, I had a mullet. And um, if you don't know what that is, the new name for a mullet is called the Alabama Waterfall. (laughs) I have no idea, but that's what they call it now. Man, those were the days. Those were the days. And the one thing for men, you know, the thing that does keep growing is your ear hair and your nose hair. I mean, we just constantly fighting with that. It's just no fun getting old. Um, But one thing, one thing we can never, ever stop doing is growing spiritually. Amen? That's one thing we can never stop doing is growing spiritually no matter how old we are. And, And so we're taking the first two few weeks here in 2024 to discover how not to stagnate in our growth. And I want to just, just look at a couple questions. Like, why do we stop growing spiritually? And what causes us to stop growing spiritually? And, and we, can, we can blame other things, other outside forces, other factors to say why we're not growing. But the real reason for the lack of growth, growth and the biggest roadblock to growth is us. It's me. Let's just be honest. The biggest roadblock to growth is me. My growth in Christ will suffer. And I, and I believe this is one of the major areas why we stop growing or we feel stagnant in our walk with the Lord is when we stop seeking ways to serve. Now, let me be careful here. Let me, let me be careful. Um, we all know that we need to serve and we need to serve in the church. We understand that. I mean, the, the Living Word is built on volunteers serving the body of Christ so we can grow. And we're so thankful for you. But here's what I want to dig in today. today. There's a gospel reason why we serve. And I think we miss that. I think we can just get into the motions of coming to church. I know I need to serve. I know I need to do these, these things. And, and even in serving, we can get a hardness of heart sometimes. Because there's a disconnect with why we do these things and the gospel message. And I want us to understand this morning that everything we do should be driven by the gospel message of Jesus and what he did for us. And that's what I want us to discover today because at the core of the gospel message, Jesus sacrifices for us. And through that message, we understand because of what Christ did for us, he didn't strong arm us, He didn't get us in a headlock to serve us. 
What he does is, is God demonstrates his love towards us that while we were still sinners, Jesus died for us. Jesus didn't wait for you to get it all together. It's through his love and his grace that he gave his life and he laid his life down for us. That has to be the premise and the motivation for why we serve. And when we stop serving, there's a disconnect with our understanding of the gospel message. I want to just jump into the Word of God and show you a common thread within the Word that we're supposed to do and how we're to serve and be devoted to one another. Romans 12.10, Paul says, Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. 1 Peter 4.10 says, Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve yourself. Right? What does it say? To serve others. as I love this. As faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. This is amazing to me. The grace that's been poured out into you through the love of Jesus Christ, we're to steward that in the way we serve others to build up the body of Christ. Philippians 2.7, Jesus is talked about here in his very life and what he came to do through the words of the Apostle Paul. And what Paul says, it says, Rather he, Jesus, made himself nothing by taking on the very form of what? A servant being made in human likeness. The Gospel of Mark describes for us the very purpose of why Jesus came. It says, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now, I want you to notice something or the common theme in each one of these verses. What it's saying is that we are to look out for the interest of others. Jesus came not to benefit himself, but to benefit us by laying his life down for us. A life that is in Christ is actually marked by service. It's serving others at your own expense. If we're not experiencing growing pains, we ain't growing. Excuse the grammar. We're not growing. If we're not experiencing growing pains, we're not growing. Growth will always come at your expense because you're giving something up. We're constantly fighting against the proclivity of our hearts to serve ourselves. That will be a battle and we're all in the same boat together. Whether you've been serving Jesus for one week or, or 40 years, we're all going to battle a proclivity to want to serve myself. And then there, there's where the disconnect is to the gospel, where I'm not speaking the gospel to my heart and the motivation of why I serve and the purpose of serving. If it's not grounded in Christ, then it will become me-centered. And we can have a wrong definition of serving. We can say I'm serving because it's, it's, sometimes it's fun to serve, right? It's fun to help other people, right? We want to help other people. That should be a, a motivation. But if it's not Christ-centered, if it's not for his purposes and his glory and for the gospel's sake, then it becomes more about me. And I'll give you a perfect, um, I'll give you a perfect example of when serving becomes more about me and not about Jesus. And we've all fallen into this trap, especially as parents, right? We've used this before as parents to, to um, motivate our kids, 
right? We, we've kind of guilted them or maybe shamed them by saying something like this. Look at all I've done for you. Is anybody out there today just checking, just checking, right? right? Or we can say things, look at all I do around the church, right? See, we have to be careful there. Because my motivation then becomes more about me serving and not serving Christ and laying my life down. It's a privilege. Always remember this. It's a privilege to serve Christ because of what he has done for us. Growth comes at an expense. It will cost you something. But here's the benefit. The happiest people are the ones that serve. The most joyful people are the ones that serve. I want us to understand that a life of service will cause us to grow more than anything else. I absolutely love the older saints in our church, and they are an example to every single one of us. Aren't you thankful for the older saints? Can we just thank the older saints in our church and what they do? I was talking to Ruth Brooks this morning. Ruth is 91, going to be 92 in April. She's our oldest member. Go Ruth, right? Ruth, we know, had surgery last year on her leg and her hip, and she was up this morning shoveling her walk. Ruth! She's got a little snow plow in the front of her walker, so she just snow plowing it, right? She's dusting off the snow. Guess who's at church this morning? Ruth. Guess who's at the front door greeting? Ruth. So listen, if you're ever going to complain to me, I'm going to send you to Ruth. I ain't going to get very far. I'm just saying, you're not going to get very far, right? Are we thankful? I'm, I'm thankful for those that, that set the example for us of what it means to serve and to serve the body of Christ. It's our motivation should be from how Jesus gave up everything to serve us. One time I, w- I was sitting in my office and I was looking out the, the window and I noticed um, a piece of paper, uh, you know, walking this a while ago, but a piece of paper that was in the driveway. And I saw somebody walking, a member of our church, and I'm looking out my window going, hmm, I wonder if they're going to pick up that paper and just walk by, right? I'm just thinking. Now, no one's looking around, no one's looking at them. And, and, and I saw them stop and pick up the piece of paper to throw it out. That's a servant. That's a servant. Because what they're looking for, they're, not, they're looking at every opportunity of how I can serve. When, when you do that, when someone does that, what they're saying is, this is my church. This is the church that I want Jesus to be glorified in. The thought wasn't someone else will do it. The thought wasn't, well, don't they have a person that cleans up? We do. Well, they can do it later. The thought was, I want to serve. It was a small act, but a big act of the heart, of knowing that their motivation was to glorify Christ. See, why is serving so vital? The reason why serving is so vital, because serving breaks the hold of selfishness in my life. It will. And we're always struggling against wanting to be served, wanting to have things our way. We're going to constantly struggle with it. It's going to be a constant tension in our life. And when we serve, it breaks that selfishness in my life. Serving, serving will cause us to complain less. And, and I, I don't know, some of us think that, you know, uh, complaining is one of the spiritual gifts in the Bible. And it's not, by the way, just to let you know, it's not, Right? And, and, and I think when we're serving, we have the right heart. But if I'm cleaning, uh, complaining and moaning all the time, there, there's something, once again, there's a disconnect of the gospel and my motivation of why I'm doing these certain things. Idleness, idleness 
When we're idle, idleness is the fuel for a critical and complaining spirit. When I'm idle and I don't realize the motivation in my heart is to serve Christ every single day. And I'm not talking just about in the church. I'm talking about in my everyday life, looking for opportunities of how I can serve someone else for the sake of myself. That's when the gospel has anchored itself in our lives. Church, just listen to me. Listen, listen. We can know all about Jesus and know how he died for us, know how he saved us. We can know all that stuff. But the reality of the gospel in our heart, when it's truly anchored in our hearts, is when we begin to serve one another, when we begin to love one another, when we do things at our own expense, not for the glory, but for Christ's glory. That's when it's truly anchored itself in our heart. If I'm complaining and moaning and doing all these other things, there's a disconnect with understanding of what Christ did for me. I always remember this story so many years ago. It was a story of this, this man named Sammy Morris, and he, he was a student from Africa that went to Taylor uh, College University. And the president asked him, Sammy, you know, is there any room that you want and we'll give it to you? Any room you want, we're going to give it to you. And Sammy's reply is, if there is a room that no one else wants, give that to me. Give that to me. The president said, he goes, I I just turned away with tears in my eyes because I was thinking to myself, would I have taken the room that no one else wanted? See, that's a servant's heart that's thinking of other people above ourselves. How does the gospel break selfishness and give me a heart for serving? Here's how it does that. We have to remind ourselves the reason we serve is because Jesus served us. What we see in Mark 10.45 is the purpose for Jesus coming to earth. This was the purpose. Jesus came to serve and give his life as a ransom, it tells us. Now, what does this mean? Because this needs, if this isn't the motivation for why we serve, then we're going to do it with wrong motives. Jesus came to serve us and give his life for us as a ransom. What does this mean? Well, because of sin, we are indebted to God and cannot overcome that debt in our own goodness, no matter how hard we try or how good we think we are. The bottom line is we need a savior. We need someone to rescue us. We can't rescue ourselves no matter how good we are or how many good things we might do. We needed a savior. And what Jesus does is he gave his life for you and I, that substitutionary death on the cross for you and I so that we could find life. We needed a rescuer. We needed someone to save us. And if that doesn't humble you, nothing else will. That should, that should cause us to realize we should have been objects of God's grace, but because of Christ Jesus and his grace and through his salvation, we are now made friends with God and he covers us and he cleanses us and he forgives us of all our unrighteousness. And when we understand that and we speak that to ourselves every single day, it will humble us to realize how grateful we need to be every single day for what Jesus Christ has accomplished for us. Amen? There was a a movie I was watching not too long ago. It was a movie from the 40s. Uh, Edward G. Robinson starred in it. 
Um, I, I, there's two people that watch this movie in the first service. So I'm sorry, this illustration may be a swing and a miss, but it was a good movie. You guys may remember Edward G. Rouse. Remember, you dirty rat. Remember he's in all those gangster movies? Oh, can anybody raise your hand? Just no, just help me here. Okay. So, but he started, and this was, a, this was uncharacteristic of normally his character, but he, he played in this one movie called Our Vines Have Tender Grapes. Anybody ever see that? Anybody see our vines have tender grapes? Nobody? Okay, two people. Okay, this was a swing and a miss, but I'm going to say it anyways because it's, I like the movie. What was interesting about the movie is that Edward G. Robson played this Norwegian farmer and with his wife raising his young daughter in Wisconsin. And a flood hit the area. And the farmer's seven-year-old daughter and her five-year-old cousin took a galvanized bathtub and used it as a boat. So what happened is the, the floodwaters came right up to the farm and so they said, oh, we're going to have fun and we're just going to get in. So they made these, you know, wood paddles or whatever. And they're, and they're moving through the yard where the flood was. Well, the, the floodwaters went right out to a major river in their town, which was just flowing like crazy, just flowing. And so they got caught up in the river, and by the time the father found out what had happened and what they did in the missing tub, and he put two and two together, he calls all the townspeople and says, my daughter, uh, you know, my nephew, they're missing, they're missing, they're missing, we need to go save them. And so what the townspeople did, they went to a, a bridge that crossed the river, and they were just waiting, hopefully, because they didn't know if the galvanized tub tipped over, they didn't know if they were going to drown, they didn't know what happened, so they're waiting. And all of a sudden, as they're waiting, they see the tub coming down the swollen river, but they don't see the kids. They don't see them. And as the tub got closer and closer, they noticed that the kids were huddled in the bottom of the galvanized tub. And the minute they got to the, to the bridge, the dad grabbed the daughter and, and, and the other townspeople grabbed his nephew and pulled them out and rescued them out of the floodwaters to where they were saved. And the hug... I didn't get emotional in the first service. I don't know why I am today, now in this service. But the hug that the daughter gave the dad, he, he loved her so much. And what it just reminded me of, because if you're a pastor, you're always looking for sermon illustrations. So that's the way my mind works, just jumping in my mind for just a minute. And I said, this is such a great illustration of what Jesus does for us. He pulled us out of the pit and rescued us. Did the daughter do not a smart thing? Absolutely. But the point was she was saved. And that's all he cared about. See, I think we miss sometimes. We forget because either, you know, maybe you've been a Christian for a short time, a long time. I think sometimes we can take our salvation for granted if we're not careful of the depths and the lengths that Jesus went towards to reach us and to save us from darkness. And so we have so much to be thankful for. It was through Christ's perfect sacrifice that he freed us from the slavery of sin, which we had no power to overcome in our own strength. Sin leads to death, but the gift of Christ and what he accomplished for us leads to life. Jesus paid our debt and appeased the holy demands of God the Father. And understanding this, when we truly grip this and what Jesus did for us, causes us to have grateful hearts and a heart that now desires to serve, 
Do you see the difference? The difference is now, when I serve out of a grateful heart, understanding what Christ did for me, understanding that he's not demanding me to serve, he's not strong-arming me to serve, now I can say, I get to serve. It's the same way with giving, which Pastor Brand did a great job on the message last week on generosity. Listen, if we don't base everything in the gospel message on what Jesus did for us, we're, there's going to be all these disconnects to understand why I give, why I serve. Jesus doesn't guilt us into shaming us to serve and to give. What he does, he says, look at what I did for you. All these things I did out of my love for you, my grace that I gave to you. When I realize all that stuff, I now serve out of a thankful heart, a grateful heart that I get to serve now. I get to give to the Lord. I want to do these things. Not only that, I can do it with a cheerful heart. Whatever the Lord has told you to give, you give with a cheerful heart. Not out of compulsion, Paul tells us to the Corinthian church. Not out of compulsion, not out of guilt, but out of a hilarious, cheerful heart for what Christ has done for you through his grace. Serving should be the same way I get to serve because of what Christ has done for me. Tim Keller has this great thought about how sin and the way sin weaves its way into our lives and how sin becomes so self-serving and how a life through Christ becomes selfless serving. And I want to, I want to read to you, I have it for you, what, what Pastor Keller says here because it's so good. So I'm just going to tell you what he said because I would have messed it up if I tried to translate what Pastor Keller said. So let me tell you, here's what he said. This is so good. He said, sin makes us operate on this principle. Your life for me. I'm going to make you sacrifice for me, for my interest, for my self-image. You must sacrifice your needs to serve me. But Jesus Christ, this is why I serve Jesus. This is why I've laid my life at his feet. Because he is different from every other religious figure. He is God. He is Lord. But listen to what Jesus says. He does the polar opposite for you and I. But Jesus Christ came to the world saying, my life for you, my life to serve you, my life poured out for you, I sacrifice for you. He says, those are the two ways you can live your life and every single day, every hour, you decide to operate on one of those principles. Wow. So true. Every time I read this, I feel convicted because it's so true. I want you to understand that all real, true, authentic love is substitutionary sacrifice. It's my life for yours. Understanding this principle will revolutionize your marriage. Okay, Pastor, you're going to start talking about marriage now? I'm hitting everything today, so we're going to we're hit, hit on marriage a little bit. Listen, listen, this, is, this will revolutionize your marriage when you understand this. And for 34 years, going on 34 years of, of full-time pastoring and, and going, on, going on 34 um, years of marriage, God bless Kathleen, but going on 34 years of marriage, here's, here's the things I've learned from just talking to couples and even in my own life. 
If you boil down all the marriage issues, can I just be dead honest with you? And the struggles we have, it usually boils down for a struggle of control. It does. I don't want to give in my way. I don't want to. It's, it's a struggle for control. And how many of us know that your married partner, they know you better than anyone else? Right? Have you ever heard the, the, the saying like, oh, you were waiting to put that in. You, know, you took that out of your holster real quick, right? Just wait to use it one day. I got, oh, 10 years ago. I got it. I got it right here in my holster. I'm getting ready to use it, right? And we can dig up the past and all our faults and all our, to, to try to do what? To try to control. Try to control. Jesus didn't do that. He could have easily come and had a laundry list of all our shortcomings and said, you're not even worthy of, of my death. Why would I do this? But God demonstrated his love that we were still sinners. He gave his son for us. That's grace. That's grace. Ephesians 5, Paul tells the husbands, same way, Servanthood, servanthood, servanthood. Husbands, love your wives as Christ has loved the church. And what did he do? He gave himself for her. If you can make your marriage a competition of submission, you're going to have a pretty good marriage. And... uh, Can I just give you a little preview of our next sermon series? Are you ready? We're going to talk about God's design for sexuality. So be praying for me. This is going to be a fun month in February, all right? Woo, we're going for a ride. We're going to go for a ride. So we're going to dig into God's word on all that stuff so you don't want to miss it. So pray for me. Okay. You see, it goes back to servanthood. It goes back to serving, doesn't it? giving to one another at your own expense. And I want you to notice how the the apostles and the disciples describe themselves. They, they, They showed the world and their listeners and people they wrote to where their identity was. James 1.1, James, the the half-brother of Jesus, he says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. A servant. Philippians 1.1 says this, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. 2 Peter 1.1, Simon Peter, a servant, an apostle of Jesus Christ. James, Paul, Timothy, Peter, all identified themselves as servants of God. Paul tells us that Jesus humbled himself and took on the form of a servant. What does that mean? Listen, we can serve. We might be serving. Just want to make sure you guys are watching. Just listen. But we may not be servants. We might be serving our church or serving our spouse or whatever it may be. You might be doing things. You might be do- it looks good. You're doing doing things. Question is, are you a servant? Okay, so what does that mean? What does it mean to be a servant? Because in our world today, it may not 
take the same meaning as it did in the first century. And the word used to describe a, dis- a disciple of Jesus Christ and, and the apostles, they, they used it to describe their relationship with Christ, that we're a servant. The Greek word for servant is this word doulos. Doulos. So I want you to see that doulos carries this deeper meaning than just servant of what we might be thinking about as a servant. We might think of someone who chooses to carry out and, and, and kind of come and go as they please. But the Greek word doulos literally means bondservant or slave. The term bondservant or slave could refer to someone who voluntarily served others. But usually it's referred to the one who was held in a permanent position of servitude. One who has laid their rights down. That's what the apostles and the disciples are saying they are. Doulos, bondservant, slave of Jesus Christ. I'm a bondservant or slave of Christ. That's my identity. I have laid down my rights to follow Christ. I will give up my will to serve the will of Christ. Something is different when we lay our lives down to serve Christ. And Christ, he's not forcing us to do it. Once again, he's not strong-arming us. It's not forced servitude. Why? Because Jesus set the example for us by not doing that, by not laying the guilt trip on us. Jesus sets the example by doing this. He knelt and washed the disciples' feet. He says, you do likewise. He was showing them that they need to serve one another. Jesus, by saying, not your will be done, or not my will be done, but your will be done, Father God. Laying his will down at his Father's feet. He told his followers that the first shall be last, and the greatest among you shall be your Servant, bondservant, doulos, slave. Serving, serving is who you are. That's who you are. A servant is a bondservant. That is who we are now in Christ Jesus. When we serve others, always remind yourself that you're ultimately serving Christ for what he did for you. So this helps us because it's easy to serve the lovable. It's hard to serve the un- people that aren't grateful. It's hard to serve the unthankful, right? Pastor, you have no idea what I'm dealing with with my neighbor. You got no idea, Pastor. You got no idea with a coworker, blah, 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 right? It's hard. Who are you ultimately serving? You're ultimately serving Christ. And just remind yourself that you've laid your rights down at the foot of the cross when you became a follower of him. That's how I can serve ungrateful people because my ultimate identity is in Christ. And I'm doing it for his glory. And if I'm saved by the grace of God that I didn't earn, merit, or deserve, then there's nothing that he cannot ask of me. So I'm going to pick up that piece of paper in the driveway. I'm going to serve that coworker that drives me nuts. Right? There's nothing that he cannot ask of me if I'm, if I'm saved by God's grace. I've laid my rights down for the sake of Christ. 
And so what Jesus does is he chose to lay down his prerogatives to serve us and give his life for us. That should be the motivation why we serve. Because, doulos, we are bondservants. That should be our motivation. That's who we are. That's our identity. That we are servants, ultimately, of Christ Jesus. So, I want to ask, ask yourself, ask yourself, where can I serve? Once again, do we need help in church? Absolutely. It's done majority by volunteers. You can see we need another drummer. Maybe there's some secret drummers out there, right? Secret drummers. You can try out. If you stink like me, you won't make it, but that's okay. We'll find somewhere else for you guys, right? Not all of us have good singing voices, right? But there's a place. God has gifted all of us. We need help in our, you know, working with our children in so many places. And, and I just want to let you know, we, we want to find a place for you because God has gifted all of us by his grace to use for the building up of his body. So yes, we want you to serve within in the church. So there, there's, my, there's my pitch, there's my plea to, to, to help serve because we, you know, we can always find a place for, you, for the building up of, of God's kingdom. And I'm so thankful for the volunteers that are at our church that willingly serve our church. That's what makes Living Word a special place, amen? And I'm thankful for those who serve. But ask God, where do you, where do you want me to serve? And, and just the connect card in the front of your seat, there's a spot there talking about where can I serve and, and Pastor Brandon and I, we can, we, can, we can plug you in. You can go online. There's a connect tab online too and we'll, we'll plug you in. We'll plug you in. Okay. But more than all of that, how am I serving every day? Is my life, is my life a servant of Christ Jesus? So, when you see the, the the sink full of dishes and you're not normally the one that does the dishes. I'm talking to myself. Okay, I'm just preaching to myself, right? How do we serve there, right? Every day are we thinking, what are little ways that I can serve someone else and not expect it to be done by someone else? How can I serve? Because ultimately, we are serving Christ. Is, is the position of my heart in a humble position where I can say, God, whatever you want me to do, I'll do it for you. If it's picking up trash, I'll do it for you. Whatever you want me to do, God, let me do it for you because I'm your servant now. Let him lead you in that way. Let him lead you in that way. So as we come... And, and, and take communion together um, as a church. This is so fitting because what we're doing is we're recognizing what Christ has, has done for us, right? So when we come to the table of the Lord, Jesus says, when you do this and you take the bread, you take the drink, you're doing this in remembrance of me. We're looking back and we're looking forward to Christ's return for his church. So, as we take communion today, some of you might be here and you're like, Pastor, is it okay if I take communion? Well, let me just say this. You don't have to be a member of our church to take communion, but you do have to be a member of the family of God. And if you're here today and you say, I've never really laid my life down 
at the foot of the cross or give my life to Christ, you can do that. Jesus says, I will no wise cast out anyone who comes to me. Anyone who calls on my name, I will save. I will rescue you. And we're going to say a prayer. You just call out to Christ. He's the one that forgives. He's the one that covers you of your sin. And by all means, take communion with us. But when we take communion, what we're doing is we're recognizing that Jesus is the only way. That Jesus is the Son of God. That he is God. That it's only through his death and through his resurrection that we can find forgiveness and be made right before a holy God. So as we take this today, remind yourself of the perfect, beautiful sacrifice that Jesus provided for you and I. And it's through that that we find new life, that we find freedom, that we find forgiveness. And it's through all that we serve. And we're called servants of Jesus Christ. And we get to serve him so that his name is glorified and that his church is built up. So as we take this today, let's just remind ourselves of the beautiful sacrifice that Jesus provided for us. So go ahead and take, take out the bread and just open up the cup and, and we'll take it together. And I'm going to pray and just lead everybody in a prayer. And, and let's just thank the Lord for today. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for everything you've accomplished for us. Lord, I thank you that none of this could be done without Jesus. We could never find forgiveness without Jesus. We could never find healing without Jesus. Thank you, Father God, for not sparing us your own son, for doing everything on our behalf so that we could have a right relationship with you. So as we hold these emblems in our hand this morning, we recognize the body of Christ. We recognize this cup that symbolizes his blood, his perfect substitutionary death for us. That his death appeased you and appeased your holiness and met all the righteous demands on our behalf. So it's through Christ that we find this freedom. Thank you for your forgiveness. We love you. We praise you. And we ask these things. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Let's partake of the bread together. And then you can partake of the cup together. Amen. When you are done with that, would you just stand with me? And we're just going to close in a beautiful, beautiful song about the cross of Jesus Christ. So would you stand with me? Can we thank the Lord for his word today? Just thank him for his word today. He's so good. Amen. Would you stand with me as we close in song? God bless you as you sing this unto him.